The Oscar Pistorius case resumes on Monday and the prosecution is expected to call only four or five more witnesses before closing its case, leaving somewhere close to 80 witnesses who were on that original list of 107 not called and then the defence will start its case. And my understanding, after talking with a couple of legal eagles, if, if Oscar Pistorius is going to testify... He has to testify first. He cannot testify later because then he might shape his testimony according to what other testimony has been given by people that the defence might call. So if Oscar's going to testify, and the smart money at the moment seems to be that he will, then, who knows, Wednesday, Thursday, next week, Oscar Pistorius might be on the stand and then we'll go back to the feeding frenzy that characterised the first few days of this now three-week-old affair. Rebecca Davis of the Daily Maverick has been there day in and day out. She's written a wonderfully tastefully funny piece about being a journalist at the Oscar Pistorius trial for 13 days in a row. She's on the line to us now, still from Pretoria. I thought you might have come home for the long weekend, Rebecca. I just love it too much here, John. What can I say? I've got a taste for Khateng living. Doesn't sound like it, the sort of hotels that you stay in. Doesn't sound like it at all. Okay, after three, after two glacial days and then one speedy and very interesting day yesterday, what's happened to the internal Rebecca Davis barometer of Oscar Pistorius's guilt versus innocence? I feel it's been a good week for the prosecution, John. That was my sense coming out of it. In the last Two day, well, the last day in particular, we didn't see a lot of the, the Rue cross-examination that we've come to expect, and whether that's because he didn't feel he had to spend enough as much time on, on these particular witnesses or just couldn't make any headway. And I think it was the latter case of the ballistics expert, Christian Mangena, who, who really just stuck to his guns, which I realize is an unfortunate analogy in the story of case, but he, he didn't give an inch against Rue. So it was my sense that that, that that the evidence we heard was damaging to the defense's case and that the defense did not make a lot of headway this week in chipping away at that. That's the sense I get. But damaging enough to outweigh the damage that was done to the state's case by some less than certain witnesses and some quite hostile and effective cross-examination by Barry Rue in the first two weeks. Yeah, that remains to be seen. I think that this week was just a lot less effective in terms of the cross-examination, even in terms of the, what, day and a half we spent on crime scene photographer Benny von Staden, who one of my colleagues memorably described as a beige wall, which sort of sums up the the entertainment factor of the testimony. But as Mrs. Rue was trying to get across the point that the police work there might have been shoddy again, might have been compromised, we didn't hear too many devastating revelations of police incompetence there. It wasn't unambiguous evidence that the, that the police had really messed up there. And so I agree with you that there have been other, other moments in this trial where the defense's case has seemed pretty, pretty um, damaging in terms of, of taking pot shots at the state. But this week was not one of them, I don't think. So in four or five witnesses more to come, I don't think anybody has been told by Gerinel's team which of the 80 or so names still on the list are going to be called and which are going to be relieved of duties. But I I have the sense, and I have to, uh, again, acknowledge that I don't know the case nearly as well as people like you who've sat in day in and day out from gavel to gavel know it. But my sense is that unless Gerinel's got a couple of 
sort of aces up his sleeve, the state is some way short of the reasonable doubt criterion. Yeah, it's interesting that, John. I must say, when Harry now said that the state was ready to ramp up as soon as early next week, I was a bit surprised. But then I'm not a, a legal eagle, as you call it. And having spoken to lawyer friends, you know, often the received wisdom is that calling fewer witnesses can be stronger. Somebody even suggested to me, which I thought was a bit absurd, that he could have left it at Michelle Berger's testimony alone. It's... um. The reasonable doubt, I still feel like we, we haven't got the full sense of the state's case at all. Maybe it's, for instance, we still have yet to hear any sense of what the state is claiming in terms of the stories of state of mind, what would have led him to fire on the door, even in anger. Um, the reasonable doubt criteria, I agree. I'm not sure that there's been enough done, but I wonder who the final witnesses are. And I'm also wondering if now is not perhaps saving a last showman's flourish in terms of bringing out one of the witnesses who lived right next door to Pistorius, because it is really noteworthy that we have not heard from those witnesses yet, and you've got to wonder why. So, I mean, at, at the moment, what we have is some testimony, which has been attacked by the defence, that there were screams from Riva, and if there were screams from Riva, that suggests that Oscar's Pistorius' story has some serious holes in it. But we haven't heard anything other than that very vague neighbour's testimony about an argument leading up to the shooting. There, We haven't heard any testimony about their relationship supposedly being rocky. We've heard testimony that he has a bit of a flash temper and is not the nicest lad on the block, but we've heard nothing which suggests that he and Reva were not deeply and desperately and happy as cooing doves in love. No, we haven't at all. I mean, unless you take the testimony of the ex-girlfriend, Sam Taylor, that the story has cheated on her, so you can sort of build up a, a pattern of perhaps slightly dodgy relationship behavior. It's also noteworthy that the police phone and iPad expert, Michael Sales, who testified yesterday, said nothing as to the content of the iPhones, which many people thought would be the sort of smoking gun in the case, that there would be some incriminating text or some evidence there that, that would help build the state's case. In fact, in some regards, it was quite perplexing why the state called Michael Sales at all, because he said virtually nothing that would seem particularly incriminating either way. He simply gave the fact that that, that, that the stories had been on the iPad till 9.20 p.m., which, again, actually perfectly supports the stories of case, that they were in bed by 10, looking at car sites. We later found out he'd been surfing porn websites at the time, but the state didn't make anything of that. But it's also important to note that that web browsing history has now been entered into records. The state can come back to it at a later point. So again, it is possible that the state is holding some stuff back, but they don't have a lot of time to bring it to the table. Yeah, I was thinking about why they introduced it as well. I sort of wondered if it was just very simply, we're not exactly sure what Judge Masipa thinks about porn, but if you look back... Um, at the cases in this sort of arena of criminal law where she has been the presiding judge, she's very, very angry about males being violent to women. She might well regard violence as a uh, prostit- uh, might well regard pornography as being another kind of expression of that male violence against women. And it's just a little seed of unpleasantness, an extra seed of unpleasantness about Oscar's character to plant in her mind. That's true, but if so, why not make more of that? Why not ask the, the expert on the stand what that website is, what it entails? I mean, the, it was telling to me that it wasn't explicitly mentioned at all in the state's uh, leading of evidence, but that 
they left it on the screens, I think deliberately, when we went for a break. And I think the intention was that journalists would cluster around, as we did, to see what was else was on that web history and in fact it was sort of scrolled down to a very convenient position for us all to have a good squiz but it strikes me that that is more a pr move than a legal one that they knew that journalists would report on it and it would look bad for the stories if you're the kind of person who believes that surfing porn is sort of morally wrong or that it doesn't fit with the picture of a loving relationship but i'm not sure there's anything legal that they can make of it at yeah. the moment, without having drawn it explicitly to the attention of the court. So, I mean, the Times did bite and has a story today about some of the sites that he visited, which lists various categories for different tastes, including small breasts, threesomes, short hair, cougar, chubby, big breasts, Asians, MILFs, Germans, Indians, ties, and tattoos. So there we go. Now we know. Uh, well, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> it's a pleasure. There were a couple of others that I chose not to share with you because I know what a sensitive soul you are. Uh, you, you, you did write in your piece today the sort of uh, um, the meta narrative of being a journalist at the trial of Oscar Pistorius that there has been there seems to have been a much greater campaign is perhaps too unkind a word but there's been a greater effort from the Pistorius camp this week latterly to reach out to the Steenkamp camp yeah I mean hardly a day goes by without some gesture in this regard it's hard not to be cynical about it because it all seems to be taking place so very firmly in the public eye. But the stories, I think, are very much aware that their gestures are scrutinized at all times of the court day by journalists. They're aware that when they make a move from one side of the court bench to the side where the steam camps sit, that journalists are staring at them, that they are eavesdropping intensely on their every word. And so it's hard not to be a bit cynical about it when you consider that there must be other avenues open to them to make these kind of overtures in private. Okay. So the expectations for next week, I mean, there's got to be, there must be some sense of, for goodness sake, the state must produce something dramatic, otherwise we're potentially in damp squib territory. Yeah, I think there will definitely be a sense of of a damp squib if if the state don't have anything big up their sleeve. As I say, I'm suspecting they may have some some neighbor witnesses lined up and other than that of course what what will be definitely the most dramatic aspect of next week is the story of himself taking the stand we can expect the defense case to probably go on for a good while john since they have all these expensive foreign ballistics experts and so on laid laid on so i'm afraid it doesn't look like we're anywhere close to finishing in general has anybody been given any insight? I don't know whether you're allowed to ask questions of Barry Rue or somebody within Oscar's camp. Uh, what is going to be your strategy? A lot of people to come into the witness box and say, what a wonderful, kind, generous, compassionate, soft-hearted man he is, and then the technical experts. The lawyers aren't allowed to comment on the case while it's ongoing. I'm not sure they're actually allowed to lead evidence strictly linked to sort of moral character. It's my sense that they will focus probably on shooting down the state's evidence about blood matter, about ballistics, about the technical aspects. And as I say, I believe that they've recruited some very expensive, very expert witnesses in this regard who are simply going to, I imagine, take the stand and say, look, this is the alternative to the police's case. And then it'll be up to Judge Masipa to decide who's, who's more credible there. I'm, at the moment, Rebecca, I'm looking out over Jean's head at Table Mountain and the sky is blue and there's oh, probably yeah. 14 different shades of green and grey that I can see in the mountain and having read this morning how <laughs> the umbrella is your only constant companion in rain-sodden <laughs> Pretoria, I'm just planting that picture in your brain for the long weekend. 
I'm laughing, but I'm sobbing at the same time, John. Thank you for that. Okay, Rebecca, uh, we will talk again next week. Uh, read the piece in the Daily Maverick today. If you, you know, there's some sense that it's but tasteless to be funny about something like this, but she manages it with great judgment, I think. Have a look at it on dailymaverick.co.za.